All right, great singing. You may be seated. We are in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 this morning. If you've been in church any length of time, a familiar passage of Scripture, when you give you a chance to get there, it's page 947 in your Bibles in the pews. We're in the New International Version if you are online. And uh, wanted to let you know that we're continuing a series that we've called Reformation in Honor of the Reformation, which is the 500th anniversary uh, coming up here on the 31st. And uh, so we have look, been looking, started last week looking at a couple of what's called the solas, the, the things uh, that were some major, major tenets of the Reformation. Last week we looked at sola scriptura, which was, which was talking about, of course, the scriptures alone. Today we're going to look at two of them together, which is called by grace and by faith alone. And, and that's kind of encapsulated in these few verses. But again, I'm going to read them in just a moment, but I don't want you to look at them and go, yeah, I've read these verses and it's, it, is, it is what it is and I've, I've seen them. We know that every time that we look at even a familiar passage, we can sort of pull it back a little bit and see some really interesting things. So Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, I want to actually uh, back up uh, just very quickly to uh, the first few verses. Actually, go up to verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then here are the key verses. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And let's pray. Father, thanks again for those who have come before us, for those who have paid the price, for those who have uh, really helped us to emphasize what's really important today. And it's because of those that have gone before us that we are here. But Father, I pray this morning that we will understand that it wasn't just what Luther did and then ultimately Calvin and Wesley and all of the rest of the people that are credited with doing so much for Christianity. But Father, may we really realize that in the end, it's about following Jesus. It's about what you have done for us. And these, these gentlemen, these people actually just pointed us in the right direction. So Father, I pray that you would continue to point us in that direction this morning. And we'll thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Most of you know, if you've been around me for any length of time, that I really, when people are getting ready to tell somebody I'm the pastor, I'm like, don't tell them. Because I, I don't know if you've, if you've you, until you've been in these shoes, it's like I, I love I love talking to people, and they go, "Hey, what do you do?" Oh, I you know I speak and write. <laughs> I just don't tell them I do it at church all the time. Uh, so it's not you know. So I I, I kind of let them go, and then they then they then they, they start talking, and so they talk freely, and everybody's talking freely until they find it. And you know, man, there's they're you know throwing expletives and they're telling stories and all that. And then when I finally work in them a pastor, they go the first thing, the next thing they do is they go they usually go something like this. Oh. I'm sorry. 
It's kind of funny, actually, you know. Because, you know, the, the, and, and what they'll say is they'll say, usually their, their discussion will go something like this. Well, you know, I'm a believer, but I don't believe in organized religion. And I say to them, I don't either. In fact, religion is dead. You should see the look on their face. Because they look at me and go, you're a pastor. It's, aren't you religious? And I said, no, I can't stand religion. You should see the discussion that ensues. Because I'm not saying anything that just tweaked their attention. Re religion really is or should be dead. Because religion has caused a lot of problems for people. I mean, you think about it. I know people have said people have started wars over religion, and they have. You know, my God's better than your God. My God's better than yours. My God, you know. They, they think that their God is better than the other God. And so, so sometimes they will fight wars in the name of that God. But people have been, when you think about it, religion has caused people to be judged. You've been there. You may have experienced it yourself. People have a, 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 a particular part of, uh, of tenets of a religious faith, and they start to judge everybody over and against that, depending on what their specific religion says. It becomes very judgmental. And so you will see religious people can tend to be very, very judgmental. And the problem is, is that sometimes you have religious people in the church and people mistake that religion for a relationship and they miss it. And so then they don't want to go to church anymore because they say people in the church are judgmental. And they're right. They've just been hanging around the wrong people. Religion itself, when you think about it, is very judgmental. If you do this, this is going to happen. If you don't do this, this is going to happen. If you go here, that's okay. If you go over here, you're in trouble. If you marry this person, that's okay. If you marry that, you're in trouble. If you, you can fill in the blank. The religion can be very, very, as a result, judgmental and make its people judgmental. On top of that, the second thing that religion will do is it causes an extreme amount of guilt. Because you don't perform, and because you don't perform perfectly, and because you don't do it right, and because you're not being obedient, then there's the people that go, go to their house of worship more, well, they're better than you because they're in church every Sunday. I mean, you, there's so many. Well, I read the Bible. I read the Bible through every year. But it causes guilt. You mean you were doing this on Sunday? Man, when I grew up, you didn't, you didn't go. You didn't work on Sunday. You didn't, because Sunday was a Sabbath, right? Wrong. Sunday's not the Sabbath. Never has been. Never will be. Not the Sabbath. But religion, when you are taking that religion to use it to show that you're better than somebody else or that you're more obedient than somebody else, religion can cause an extreme amount of guilt. And people look at it and go, I don't want that. I already feel guilty enough about my past. I feel guilty enough about the skeletons that are in my closet. I feel guilty enough about the mistakes that I've made. I feel guilty enough just living in this world. I don't want to go to some house of worship somewhere and even feel more guilty and have more guilt piled on. So religion causes guilt. Religion causes judgment. 
And sadly, religion causes people to be manipulated. Manipulated into giving, manipulated into doing things that may be wrong right in the middle of everything, and they know it, according to their even a moral code that they have. But religion manipulates them into doing something that they don't want to do. People use religion to manipulate others into their line of thinking, to become what they want them to be. And that's exactly what Luther's whole big issue was. Luther was a monk. And Luther, you know, when he, it, by, by the way, something I didn't point out to you all last week is that, you know, they didn't have email, and they didn't have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these instant methods of communication. They couldn't text message and say, hey, I could, like I could text all my pastor friends and say, hey, let's meet over at so-and-so's for breakfast. I want to discuss, uh, I want to discuss the, the virgin birth of Christ with you. Here's our topic for today. So when you wanted to have a theological discussion, you would actually go around and leave notes on doors. And that's why, that's why all of this started, is that he left this 95 thesis. Not only did he nail it to the Wittenberg door, but he went to other places. And he nailed these. And, and they had all of these things that he, that he wanted to discuss. But one of the big issues was these indulgences in the Catholic Church. And it was manipulation to get more money, because you could pay for your loved ones to get out of purgatory. And so what the, what the church was doing at the time, I didn't say now, I said at the time, was manipulating people. Boy, listen, you don't... It, it was like a fortune teller. That you know, I've heard if you go to the fortune tellers, I haven't been there, but I've seen the exposés where you go and they say, oh, ooh, yeah, it's only $10 for me to read your palm, but you've got a curse, and unless you give me 10 grand, that curse is going to... And then people go, okay, here, and they write the 10 grand check. But they're, they're manipulated. But religion has been doing that kind of thing to people for years. And that manipulation has turned into abuse. It's turned into the things that we don't even like to talk about. See, I would say to you, religion isn't dead from religious institutions. But it should be. And that's the point. This... This thing that Jesus founded was never meant to be a religion. In fact, I will say this to you. Read the New Testament and you will find out who Jesus was the most judgmental against and it wasn't the normal Joe Blow on the street. It was the religious leaders who thought they had their act together and used their religion to manipulate, to judge, and to cause guilt so that they would be what they wanted them to be. And Jesus said, no, no, guys. That's not how this is going to be. And so here we find ourselves talking about religion, and that's really not what it's about. Because religion is dead. And religion is dead, I would propose to you, because of something that we call grace. Now, grace is not something that I learned a lot about. Pam and I were discussing this this week. This just this, the, the fact that we weren't taught grace that much at all. We were taught, you know, you come, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. And if you're a good Christian, you do this, and you do this, you do this, you do this. If you want to be a better Christian, then you're going to do this, you're going to do this. You're going to, and it was all these kind of rules and regulations kind of thing. 
And then when you didn't do it, you felt guilty. And I realized we weren't taught grace. I didn't learn what grace really was all about until I was out of school. And when I, when I understood it, it was like the most... I, I looked at the scriptures and I went, this, this, is, this is the most freeing thing that I've ever seen. And this is, this is biblical. Now, it's funny because people who grew up in church, when I would preach grace before, people would come up and they'd say to me, now you can't, you can't be talking about grace all the time because people are going to live however they want to. And I would be like, you just missed the whole point. You missed the whole point. Because grace is the most remarkable gift that we have been given. We're going to look at it and see what its impact is here. And again, Ephesians, I don't want to go into a lot of detail. You've heard us talk from Ephesians before. Encyclical letter, Paul was the, uh, uh, Timothy was one of the pastors of one of the churches in Ephesus. Paul's writing this from prison and, and he's writing this encyclical or cyclical letter to the churches of Ephesus. And he's really, really, in, in every one of his letters, at some point, he's addressing false teaching because there's always somebody who takes the truth and perverts it. To manipulate, to guilt somebody into something, and to make them judgmental so they can put themselves over everybody else and call the shots. And this kept happening over and over and over again. And so Paul addresses this to the, to the church at Ephesus, church Ephesus and he says, look, we've been made alive in Christ. It wasn't anybody else that did this. And then he hits these three verses that help to transform and really help, help the Reformation. And they're found in Ephesians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Let's look at them real quick. So Paul says this, For it is by grace, now grace is unmerited favor. That's what it means. It means unmerited favor. Grace means that you are guilty. You deserve punishment. You deserve to go to jail. You deserve to get everything possible. And yet... He grants his unmerited favor to you and he grants you pardon. I was looking and, and couldn't find it. There was a book that Max Lucado wrote years ago. Uh, some of you remember um, Ted Bundy, the serial killer. Ted Bundy, supposedly, and it wasn't a, a jailhouse confession, there was an evangelical leader who supposedly led Ted Bundy to Christ. And Max Lucado had talked to this evangelical leader and, it, and he said, Max Lucado said, this guy's fully convinced that before Ted Bundy was finally executed, that he accepted Christ. And here's what, here's what Max Lucado said. He goes, you know what irritates me about grace? What irritates me about grace is that if Ted Bundy really embraced Christ as Savior, that he's going to be in heaven when I get there. And he said, that makes my blood boil, but that's what makes it grace. You want to know how radical grace is? That's it. So he says, it is by grace, by God's unmerited favor, it is by grace you have been saved through what? Through, through lighting candles, through doing good deeds, through buying indulgences, through going to church, through reading your Bible, through being a part of a group, through going to Sunday school, through going to church, for listening to Christian radio. For li Shall I continue? No. no. He says, it is by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. Through faith. It is an act of faith. It means that I, uh, that I say, okay, 
I'm accepting this, God, based on your word, I'm accepting this. Now, again, last week we looked at the inspiration of the scriptures and how important that was. And we saw we had to build on it because we had to look at the the authority of the scriptures. That there needs to be a final authority in all matters of faith and practice. And so Paul says, it's by grace that we're saved through faith. And we learn about that through the word of God. So we embrace that. We take God at his word. And he says, so it's by grace that you're saved through faith. Okay, so you embrace that and you believe it. And he says, now by the way, hold on, let me just say one more thing. He says, it's by grace that you are saved after you say the sinner's prayer. No. It's by grace that you are saved through faith. That you come to this point where you say, Jesus, I believe I can't do this and you're the only one, so I accept what you did for me. And I want to be a follower of you. By faith. It's that simple. So he says, notice this, and this not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Now, listen. Remember who Paul was always battling against too? Religious people. There were the Judaizers who had come into some of the early church who said, well, yes, you embrace Christ, but also you have to be circumcised. And if you're, then, then you're going to be a real Christian. Or it was, it was you do this, you embrace Christ, plus you do this. You embrace Christ, plus you do this. And Paul was constantly saying, no, 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 no. You can't do anything else to get it. You can't do anything to lose it. The problem is, is that it's just from him alone. And all you have to do is say yes. And it's a gift of God. It's not of works. So that nobody can, what's the next thing? Can boast. Oh, there it is. Ego. Ego. Dr. Ken Blanchard, the guy who wrote the One Minute Manager and all the One Minute books, you know what he says ego is? I love this. Edging God out. Edging God out. See, Paul says, nobody's going to be able to boast. Why? Because that was a problem. Because there were people that thought they were better than everybody else in the church. They thought that their way was better. They thought that their past was better. They thought that they thought that who they were were better, that they were more learned, that they were more accepted by God, that they knew a better way than everybody else. And Paul says, look, here's the thing. Everybody is equal everybody has sinned and fallen short of God's glory it's a gift of God and you can't boast so see when we complain when we look to the past and we say the past was better I see I'm old enough now to start to say well I remember when I remember when we didn't have these phones that are everywhere People on their phones, on their phones, on their phones. We criticize, and I have fun with millennials because I have a couple, okay? But we criticize how they do things, and I remember people criticize my generation because we always think the way it used to be was better. The way that we did it was better. The way that we got to where we were was better. And it's arrogance and it's ego to say we were right and they're wrong because we can't reach anybody like that. And so so Paul says, look, it's a gift of God. It's not of works because nobody can boast about how great they were, about how great they are, or about how great they will be. 
Because we are all sinners before God. And when God looks at me, he doesn't say, oh, listen, you're, you know what, <clears throat> you're, you're, you're better than that person. I'm so proud of you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you over here so you can be judge, jury, and executioner of everybody else. I think the older I get, the more I realize what I don't know. That I know, I know a lot about a little. Is Paul says, listen, listen, this grace thing, you can't boast. Because it's grace, you, you can try it. You can think you're better. You can think that you don't need to learn anymore, that you don't need to, but it, it's grace. It's a gift, not of works, so that nobody should boast. But then he goes further. I love this. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that nobody can boast. Nobody can get in line above the next person and the next person and the next person and say, well, I was better than so-and-so. You know, I used this illustration one time. We had a, a couple. They moved away. They used to sit over here. And uh, it's funny. I know right where everybody sits because you all sit in the same place every week. So he... They were sitting here, and I, and I started to point out, I said, I said, you know, this is kind of like if I, he's probably going to watch this on YouTube, so it'll be funny, she's probably not going to want to remember this, but I said, I said, this is kind of like if, if I were to go before, uh, up to heaven, and I got there, and I saw so-and-so in line, and I said, uh, and, and, and God said, why should I let you into heaven? And he says, well, I was better than Bob. And then... And then, so okay, then they get to me, and I, why should I let you in heaven? And I look at God, and I say, well, I was better than, and I mentioned his wife. And then, let's say that her name was Patty. Patty died today, and I don't know why he said Patty died today. Literally, folks, I got a text that she had a heart attack that afternoon. And, and, we, and, and I got to the hospital. They were blaming me. It was my fault. She had a heart attack. She came. They did a quick procedure. She's coming out and she sees me when I got out. And she starts, she's going, ah, and she's laughing. And she goes, don't. I go, no, don't even say it. Don't even say it. You know? But, but the point was is that everybody is better than somebody, but there's somebody that's always better than you. And that's why he says, you're all equal. You've all sinned. You've all fallen short of the glory of God. So it's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one should boast. And then he says this. I love it. For we are... God's, watch this, handiwork. His artwork. His masterpiece designed by him in his grace. He designed you and I as a masterpiece. He says created in Christ Jesus. Now, I love this because what he's basically referring to here is that is that, with, that when we become Christians, literally, when we embrace Christ, first, and, and 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are new creatures, which means new, a new species of being that's never existed before. So, what he says is, is that you're a handiwork, you're a new creation, which, get this, that means if you're new and old things are passed away, guess what? Your past does not matter when you come to Jesus. He doesn't care about your past because he wipes the guilt and the shame and all of those things out. Oh. That means that the way you've done it, 
That means the decisions you've made. That means the failed relationships. That means the bad choices. That means the jail time. That means the drug addiction. That means the sleeping around. It means all of those kinds of things. What he says is, is look, God has a purpose for you. That's done. And he literally wipes the thing out in Christ Jesus because you are now a new creature of being, a new species of being that's never existed before. Wow. Created in Christ Jesus. He says, to do good works. Now, notice this. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, the good works is not... Okay, when you read that, I don't like the NIV's translation there because it really is not referring to me going to church, reading the Bible, lighting candles, and doing, saying all of my mantras, and saying my prayers, and all these... It wasn't that. The idea that he's talking about is that God has done all of this. Now, are you ready? Because he's got a purpose and a plan. He created you as a masterpiece to do something. Now, here's where this fell apart when I was growing up. And, and the, you know, the, it's, it's interesting because, you know, Martin Luther is credited with starting what church? Lutheran church. John Wesley, Methodist church. John Calvin, Presbyterian church. So who started the Baptist church? Please don't say John the Baptist, it wasn't. It was a trick question. In the Baptist church, when growing up, they, they, they often talked about us that you have to accept Jesus so you don't die and go to hell. They literally used to scare the hell out of people. That was the whole purpose. I mean, we would go to these Halloween things that they would do, and you go in. I remember, I remember they would, we had one at, up in uh, Lynchburg called Scaremare. And you went through this house, and there were all of these different things. It was never, um, it was never like demonic or anything, but they had these different scenes of death. And you would go through there, and then when you were done, they would run you out of this little tent, and somebody would give you the gospel because you were scared that you were going to die, so you'd accept Jesus. <laughs> when I tell you they literally tried to scare the hell out of people, that's what happened. It was all fear-based. So I'm out of fear, and it wasn't a fear of God. It was a fear of going to hell. It wasn't a fear that I have an almighty God that could wipe me out and could do this, but he loves me anyway, and he loves me enough to, to embrace me if I just say yes to him. But further than that, we talked about, we, we used to call it getting our fire in church. Get that hell fire, never mind. So... We would accept Christ to get your fire in church so you, you didn't go to hell. That's not what he says here. It's great that you have eternity set. That's wonderful. But what about today? What about tomorrow? God, it says here, has given you grace. He saved you for a purpose to do something. To make a difference. To take the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God appointed beforehand that you, who are here right now, who have embraced Him as Savior, that He's got something for you to do in this world with whatever time you have left. That is remarkable. That is grace. That He wants to use you and me. See, I, I guess I, I sum grace up like this. Grace gives me a place in God's space. Think about that. Grace gives me a place in God's space. Because I didn't have a place in God's space because of my sin. But by His grace, He says, I'm pulling you in to my family. 
Because this is why I, I sent Jesus and so now I'm pulling you in to my space. You are part of my circle. You are part of my family. You are one of my children. And then so he says, I am giving you a place in my space. Now he says, run the race. That's what, that's what the writer of Hebrews talked about. He said, there is a great cloud of witnesses. But he says, let us run with race, the endurance, with endurance, the race that is set before us. Now, when, when the writer of Hebrews said that, he was talking about a specific race. Everybody's got a lane. The problem is, is we don't stay in our lane. You ever notice that? You're, you're focusing on something, then all of a sudden you look at somebody's a little further down the road than you, and you go, how come they're further down the road than me? That's not fair. Hey, they got a little bit easier time of it than I did. Look at that. How come God is letting them get ahead? We're so busy focused on what's going on in the other lane that we're not staying in ours. Grace has given you a place in His space all for one reason. So that you will run the race that He's called you to run. So run it. You, can you, you don't have anything encumbering you. He's wiped out the past. He has forgiven you. He's given you hope of eternal life. But now He says, run the race. I don't know. Man, I don't know how much time I have. I keep saying I'm going to have at least 85 years because my mother is, uh, is 85. I'm going to live long enough to get revenge on my children. I keep telling them that, you know. <laughs> but I don't know how long I have. But I know when I get up in the morning, I think about the fact that I've got a race to run today. And I, I'm not running it against the person next to me. I'm not running it against, as a pastor, I'm not running it against the church down the street. Or the church in Fort Lauderdale, or Miami, or the church in New York, or so. I'm not running it against what everybody thinks I should be running it against. I'm not running it against anybody. I'm running it for God. So if there's anything that grace tells us today, it's given you a place. And His space, He's given to you, and He says, now run this race. All because of Jesus. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says at the end of that, in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. He says, he says look, run, the, run with endurance. It's going it's to take endurance. So we don't want to have grit. We don't want to have discipline. We want it to be all, you know, butterflies and roses. You know, that this is going to be easy. And he says, no, you run with endurance the race that is set before you. And then he says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Keep focusing on Jesus. You know what happens to us? We slip back. Maybe we're not thinking we're following religion. But when we become judgmental, when we start to manipulate others, when we start to kind of fashion people in our mold, when we start to, to lay the guilt on, we're no longer looking at Jesus. We're looking at other people, other stuff. We're looking at what we want them to be. This reformation, we need to be reformed by grace. Reformed by the relationship that we have with Him. And we have to look at Jesus and say, am I doing things how He wants me to do it? Am I being like Him? Let's pray.